here this is how I come into the service every weekend <laughs> not in fact this entire buck dynasty series has stretched me significantly if you don't know anything about me first of all you're a very lucky human being and second of all I, I I'm not country at all and we've been doing this thing off of the duck dynasty reality series and you know all these beards and country music and asti and all that stuff. It's like, it's crazy stuff. But it's been fun to stretch us culturally, but the series itself hasn't been fun, but it's been important. We're dealing with truths that really strike at the issues of our heart and our lives, the things that can really cause a lot of pain, and all that God says about the area of finances. And I, I tell you, as I rode in that four-wheeler, it reminded me of an experience that I had way back when Roxanne and I were just young marrieds. In fact, we were getting ready and expecting our first child, Carissa, to be born. Uh, amazing how life is. She now is the mother of four herself. But the experience all rotated around something I desperately, desperately wanted. I, I wanted a motorcycle, and by motorcycle, I mean I wanted a road bike. I, I grew up riding uh, dirt bikes. I was an MXer, had a lot of fun with that, and now I'm this married guy, and, and I wanted a road bike. I wanted to become a real man, right? And I wanted it. I wanted it badly, and I had all kinds of great reasons why it would make sense. Roxanne and I only had one car, and it wasn't a very good car, and here she was pregnant, and I, when I went to work, she was without transportation, and if I had a motorcycle, I could ride that to work, and she'd have a car. That's just brilliant reasoning, if you think about it, and my job was about 45 minutes away, and I could save a ton on gas, and so brilliant reasoning, and a motorcycle, come on, it's a lot cheaper than a car, and so it was a, a cheaper way to get a second means of transportation. I mean, I, I could just rattle off the reasons, but there were two huge obstacles in my way to getting the motorcycle. Uh, the, the first one was we had no money. I couldn't afford it. I really couldn't afford it. There was a reason we only had one junky car. We had no money. And if you think about it, to spend new money on a motorcycle doesn't make sense because we were getting ready to have a baby and build a family and move forward that way. And so a huge obstacle to me. The, the second huge obstacle, and this was bigger than the no money thing, uh, Roxanne hadn't green-lighted the project. And you know, I was a young married, so I really didn't know how to do the whole married thing very well. I wasn't so much into including other people in my decision-making. And it was a huge obstacle that she hadn't green-lighted it. In fact, it was pretty hard for her to green-light the project because, well, I hadn't talked to her about what I wanted yet. <laughs> but I really wanted the motorcycle, and I figured if she saw me on the motorcycle, she would want me. To have one, I mean. I don't know what you were thinking, but I mean to have the motorcycle. And so I, I went and did the shopping deal and bought the motorcycle deal. And I'm going to tell you, I, I rode off that lot. It was sheer joy. Sheer joy. I, I was born to ride, you know. And, and then I got home. 
And I'm a pastor, so I love to do like biblical phraseology. My, my joy turned to sorrow. <laughs> Roxanne wasn't in to this decision. This wasn't a good thing. And we, we did what married couples do. We had a war. I mean, I, I defended myself, and I gave all the reasoning, and she went after me, and it just... It wasn't a pretty sight. And I tell you now, we've been married 34 years. And looking back on that, um, you know, she was right. Seriously? That I wouldn't have a conversation with her, that I wouldn't, I'd claim that I loved her, but I wouldn't invite her into my decision making. I mean, how wrong is that? It's just wrong. And we didn't have the money. And if we had the ability to step into some leveraged finances against transportation, should it be a motorcycle because I was born to ride, or should it be a car that was safe for us to be a family in and to bring this baby home in? I mean, come on, it just doesn't even make sense. But that was the moment when I started bumping up against the truth that we're looking at this weekend. That was the moment that, that I had to start realizing that Many of my problems when it comes to finances and how I use my money come from a truth that I hadn't considered until this experience opened my eyes to it. And the truth is this. Our money follows our heart. I mean, there's no way around it. Our money follows our heart. Now, please get into this, this story with me because in my head... come. On, I, I'm not the highest IQ'd person, but I knew I should talk to my wife before I drive home with this motor. I knew I should. I knew it. But I wanted the motorcycle too much to ask my wife about it when I knew what she would say. No. My money followed my heart, not my head. I knew we didn't have that money, so I leveraged against it because our money and what we spend follows our heart. And this isn't, this isn't just my anecdote. This is God's truth. Look at Matthew chapter 6, verse 21. This is what Jesus says. Where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. Yeah, because your money follows your heart. I mean, that's where your treasure is going to be. You see, the way we spend and invest and manage our money is a simple reflection of the true condition of our heart, of what we really love, of what we really value, of what we really want. The the way we handle our money tells the story of who we really are and what we're really like in spite of the words we use to describe ourselves. And, And if I could just get really personal, this is why... We tend to keep our finances so private. This is why we tend to hide the difficulties we're having financially and what we do with our money behind closed doors. And, and this is why we tend to create a perception that we're better with money and we do better things with our money than what we do. And this is why we, we get so defensive and so threatened and so offended when someone starts speaking into the financial arena. It's because money follows our heart, which means when people know about how we view money and what we do with it and where we're at in it, it's deeply revealing. 
it reveals who we really are and what we really love and what we really want and what we're really like. And that's why we're threatened by it. But we have to deal with it. Our money follows our heart. So when Jesus talked more about money than anything else, he really wasn't talking about money more than anything else. He was talking about our heart more than anything else. And nothing reflects the condition of our heart better than how we use our money. Our money follows our heart. And, and here's the application that's kind of unfolded in my life. And I need you to know, I mean, if you're a guest or a regular tender, hopefully you get it by the tone of this talk. This isn't some guy sitting up on a platform telling you all you're doing wrong with your money. This isn't some guy sitting on a platform telling you how you should live. This is a guy who's all his life, like you, wrestled with the whole issue of money and finances and wrestled with a heart that sometimes tries to use it to cover who he really is. And, and this is a guy who's wrestled with God's truth because I want to experience freedom and it's his truth that sets us free. But very often I want what I want more than I want the truth that sets me free. And, and so this is a conversation. This isn't a talk to you. This is a discussion with you. Because I believe you have some of the same issues in your life that I have in mine. And so the application that I've kind of unfolded into my life with this truth is that as our heart for God grows, as our heart for God grows, the level of our giving will grow. Because our money follows our heart. And as my heart, and this has been so true in me because my heart hasn't always been big for God and my desire to give to God and to be faithful to his principles of finances haven't always been that large. And I've realized that as my heart for God expands, the level of my generosity, the level of my giving expands. And though I can talk a big talk about how big a heart I have for God and how devoted I am and how surrendered I am, and I can put on the image and make you think that's true, the, the real indication of whether or not I have a big heart for God comes down to really, what am I doing with my money? How do I view my money? How am I spending my money? Am I giving? Am I generous? And the same is true for all of us. And I, I want to show you that God said this in, in the Bible. There was a group of people in a city called Corinth who had become believers, but, and they were pretty rich, economically prosperous, but they weren't very generous. Talked a big game, but didn't walk it. And so Paul was trying to motivate them to become the kind of believers they should become. And he used uh, people in a very different condition than them to motivate them. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 8, verses 1 through 5. He says, and now, brothers, we want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. I mean, he's poured out grace in his, their lives. I mean, and that grace has transformed them. And then look at the paradox that comes in verse 2. Out of the most severe trial, they have overflowing joy. Now, that, that's weird, isn't it? Usually when we have significant troubles and trials and difficulties, that's when we have significant sorrow. But he's saying, no, they're paradoxical because of the grace that God's given them, because of the way God's transformed them. They're not living naturally. They're living supernaturally. And even though they're in severe trouble, they have overwhelming joy. And then it, then it says another paradox, and their extreme poverty. I mean, they were impoverished. And yet that didn't well up to holding on to what they had, it welled up to rich generosity. And isn't that a paradox? Because usually we blame our lack of giving and generosity on not having enough, right? 
Of course, it's natural. But he's saying, no, they've received such grace from God and have been so transformed that, by it that, that even though they're in extreme poverty, they are extremely generous. Now, that's weird. And then he says, I testify that they gave financially as much as they were able to give and even beyond their ability. And then this next phrase is interesting, entirely on their own. Without anyone encouraging them to do it, without anyone asking them to do it, entirely on their own. In fact, they urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in the service to the saints. What he's saying is, they're so poor, we told them, come on, don't do it. We weren't encouraging this. We, we didn't think they should give. And they were so bent on giving, they were so bent on generosity, even though they had nothing, they pleaded with Paul and the other leaders for the privilege, not the duty, the privilege of sharing in this financial giving to help God's church go forward, to help his people. And then he really capstones it in verse 5. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. Now, there it is. They first gave themselves to the Lord. They gave their heart to God. They were fully devoted and fully surrendered in heart to God. He was the Lord of their life. He was the treasure of their life. And then... They gave financially to us according to God's will. Do you know what that's saying? The Macedonians were living this truth. Their money was following their heart. And their heart was given to God. And their money followed it. And Paul's looking at the Corinthians, these people who had more than they needed and were pretty selfish with it. And he's saying, your money's following your heart too. It's just that you speak as if you have a great heart for God, but you're heart is pretty small for God when you look at it. And that speaks to me because that by nature is my reality too. And God has really worked in my life and transformed me from someone who would have fit in very well in Corinth to being someone who's on this journey to being more like a Macedonian. And to help me get there, I, I kind of use a grid and we'll just call it the seven levels of giving. And I, I didn't invent this. I actually heard it a long, long, long time ago. I even created a talk around it years ago here and now a new talk around it because I think it's so important because I believe these seven levels of giving for me reveal better than anything else the condition of my heart. Help me to see the condition of my heart and I think it can do the same for you. The, the way we invest our lives and our money is, I believe, the most reliable and authentic evidence of what we value and love the most. And this can help you as it's helped me. Seven levels of giving. The, the first one's obvious. We don't give. That's the first one. It's represented on our upside-down triangle with the zero and the line through it. Zero, nada, nothing. We don't give. That's the first level of giving. And I'm going to build this levels of giving triangle upside-down because it's indicative of of the number of people that are involved in each level. It gets smaller and smaller and smaller as it gets closer and closer to what God would have us be. And this is why very often our lives are so tippy and don't have a very good foundation. We're not building it in the right way. The majority of people in this world are not generous. The majority of people in this world don't give. They just don't. And I need to get a little bit more specific the majority of people, and this is absolute fact, the majority of people gathered in churches like this don't give. The majority. 
Oh, they put on the image and the perception. You'd think that they did, but the majority don't. Now, I'm very uh, subjective about Northridge Church. I love Northridge Church. I'm so privileged to be a part of Northridge Church. I care deeply about you, and I would never consider Northridge an average church. I would consider us an above-average church. Remember, church isn't buildings and all. Church is people. And if I consider us an above-average church, that means I consider you an above-average people. You are awesome to me. So if you're above average, then maybe the majority of us don't give. But, but if you were just average, the majority of us wouldn't. And I don't know. But you know. You know if you give. And this is the first level of giving, the one that most people belong in. And the question is this, and I've been at this level at the very beginning of my faith journey. And I had to ask the question, what does this say about my heart for God? I say I love him, I say I care about him, I say I value him, but, but if I'm not giving to God, if I'm not giving and generous and giving in the way he's asked me to give, what does that say about my heart for God? It's not good. What did it say about my heart for Roxanne when I didn't even include her in a discussion about buying a motorcycle? It didn't say good things. And this is exactly what we do every day, every week, when we say all kinds of words about our love for God, but we don't even give anything? Come on. That speaks about the condition of our heart. And I found that the reasons for not giving are many. One is we don't really know God. When you don't know someone, you're not going to give them anything. And I think even those of us who claim to be believers know God so little that we just can't give to him. We don't know him. And we certainly don't love him. Not going to give to a God we don't love. We certainly don't trust him. Not going to give to a God we don't trust. In fact, this is why we get ourselves in trouble. We don't trust what he said about money, that it's not our security, he is. We don't trust what he said about providing for us, and so we have to hoard and provide for ourselves, and we don't trust him, and so we get ourselves in these holes, and we have no financial freedom, we're in bondage financially, and of course we can't be generous because we're living in a pit of debt, because we don't trust him, and then we don't give because we don't trust that he'll honor that. And the bottom line is, when we don't give, it's because we're focused on ourselves, right? We can claim that we're focused on him, but we're focused on ourselves because we're holding on for ourselves. We don't give. Our money follows our heart, and when our money isn't something we use generously to give to others, to give to God, it says something about our heart. There, there's a second level of giving, and it starts moving towards, each one of these moves towards a healthier and healthier motivation, and the second level of giving is when... Our giving is defined by the word appearance. And the second level of giving is when we give for appearance sake. For appearance sake. And, and I'm going to tell you, we do this. We do a lot for appearance sake, right? And, and I, I, I was an assistant pastor. This is, I was 24 years old. I was an assistant pastor in a small church out in Rhode Island. And um, it was a position way above my character. It was a position way above my spirituality. And... And God gave me the privilege I certainly didn't deserve. And, and at that church, as this assistant pastor, I hadn't yet developed the kind of heart that really was into giving. <laughs> you know, we, we made basically nothing. I mean, really nothing. And we had one kid, and our second child was born there, and we were living pauper's lives. But my heart wasn't forgiving. But I gave. But I didn't give because I loved God and I didn't give because my heart was, you know, pounding to help people. I gave because I knew if I didn't give, the treasurer of the church would tell the pastor of the church and they'd know that I wasn't spiritual. 
So when I wrote the checks, or I, you know, that kind of thing, I did it because I wanted them to believe about me what wasn't true, that I really was pastoral material, that I really was godly, that I really was, I gave for appearance sake. Now, I know you'd never do this, but I did. So when the basket goes by, you don't just throw a couple of things in there because you're worried about what other people will think. And the good news about Northridge Church these days, when the basket goes by and you don't put anything in, people just think, well, they must give online. And it's just like, yeah, they give online. And since if you're not going to give to God, your heart's small anyway, you might as well lie, Right? So here's my encouragement to you. If you're worried about your appearance, basket goes by, and as you're giving to the next person, just say, I give online. People go, whoa, that's cool, man. It's awesome. We give for appearance sake. We give to protect our image, to create a positive perception that's not true of the reality. We, and, and we give as little as possible, but we want people to think it's a lot, and so this is why you roll that $1 bill in such a way where it looks like a 10 or a 100, you know? It, we give for appearance sake, and here's the reality. That's not generosity. That's self-focused. It's pretense, and it leaves us dissatisfied and empty. Take it from someone who's been there. I had a hard time looking in the mirror when I knew I didn't really want to give to God, and I only did it so people would think I was more godly than I really was. That does not leave you fulfilled. It's not generosity. There's another level of giving, and it's defined by this one word, the word payment, payment. And so we're moving down the grid from not giving to giving for appearance sake to where we now give as an expression of the debt we owe. We, we give as payment for value received. We give as payment for value received. I'm telling you, it's getting better and better as we move down this triangle because though this isn't an expression of generosity, it is an expression of character. Because when we pay for value received, we're showing integrity. I'm getting something from you, and I'm not going to allow that debt to continue. I'm going to pay off my debt. That's legitimate motivation. Look at Romans chapter 13, verses 7 through 8. It says, give everyone what you owe him. Give everyone what you owe them. If you owe taxes, pay taxes. If revenue, then revenue. Let no debt remain outstanding. So that's character. However, though it's a legitimate motivation, it's not generosity. It's not giving. It's paying what you see as a debt. It's a payment. And I, I just need you to know here at Northridge that it's totally unnecessary to pay for services. I mean, if the reason you give is not because you love God, it's not because you care about what's going on and all that, but you get, well, they have to turn the lights on and they work pretty hard and, you know, got to open the doors and everything. So I, I'll give them something. I'm, I'm paying for the value received. You know, I was like, that was an okay talk this weekend. I'll give a little bit. That was a lousy talk. They owe me. You know, that kind of a thing. Payment for value received. And may I just tell you, this is why we don't take the offering after the talk. <laughs> this place would go broke in no time. I mean, people love the music. That's when you should give, you know. And after the talk, it's all over. So that, but that's not why we don't take the offering at the end. We take the offering closer to the beginning of the service because we want people to know they're not paying for services. It's about giving to God. It's about a faith exercise. It's not about value received. It's 
It's worship. And so please, don't, don't give money here because you're paying for what we do for you. We don't do anything that we do so that you'll give. We, we do what we do because of what our, God's already given. We don't want something from you. We want something for you. We want you to experience freedom of Christ. And you don't have to pay for that. You can come here forever and take advantage of everything we do and never get a dime. And we will never judge you for that because we don't do it to get something from you. But you will lose for it. Because it means your heart is of the wrong shape and the wrong character and the wrong stuff. So we pay for payment received. The next level of giving is where we really start stepping into the positive motivations. It's where we give for gratitude. We give as an expression of gratitude. This is really a positive motivation for giving. This really is a, a biblical motive for giving. In fact, when we give as an expression of gratitude, it's, it's a sign of a healthy heart because gratitude opens the heart and an open and thankful heart opens the hands. We give. It's the people with the closed hands. I, this is interesting because I, I have said, I am so grateful, God. No, I'm not. It's when we're open that we're grateful. And then we give cheerfully, not begrudgingly. And it's not a have to, but a want to. It's an expression of true generosity and giving. And you, you see the verse there, Psalm 116, verse 12. How can I repay the Lord for all his goodness to me? The psalmist got to the place and says, there's just no way. He's been so good. And I tell you, it was a life-changing experience when I got to the place where I realized there was nothing of value in my life that didn't come from what God had done for me. Everything I touched on my own, I messed up. But with him transforming me, he started giving me relationships that were beyond me and a life that was beyond me and I just was grateful and it started opening my heart and opening my hands and I started wanting to give. The next level of giving takes it even a step further. It's defined by the word obedience. The word obedience. We get to the place where we give out of sheer obedience. Now I think you notice that it's getting smaller and smaller and smaller as we go down and it's a pretty small group of people who give out of obedience. And yet this is what Jesus calls his people to do. Me. Look at John 14, 15. Jesus says, if you love me, you'll obey what I command. If you love me, you'll obey what I command. And, and the truth is he makes commands on us about our money and how we view it and what we do with it and whether we give it or not. Look what he says in Malachi three ten. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. I'm not going to get into the tithe this week because I covered that last weekend. And if you missed it, you can get online and you can learn all about the tithe and your responsibility to it, which I'm sure is what you're going to do as soon as you leave here. Just go and listen to that talk. Those of you who were here last weekend have probably just listened to it over and over and over just for some encouragement, I'm sure. But God says, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse that there may be food in my house. The way he resources, the mission of his church and the forward movement of his church and the impact of his church is through the obedient giving of his people, giving the tithe to their spiritual gathering, which is one of the reasons why the mission of the church isn't doing very well around the world. It's because so few 
believers are actually obeying God enough to give around the world. Do you know what the average is? 5% or less of all of God's people in churches, in churches, tithing. It's more than 5% that stand up and go, woo, love Jesus. But it's only 5% or less that obey him enough to give the tithe. And as much as it pains me to say it, that holds true here. We give out of obedience, but most don't because most aren't obedient, which says something about their heart. When we reach this level where we give out of obedience, we're taking a very big step forward in our commitment to Jesus because, you see, it's not natural to obey. It's, it's natural to be grateful. It takes a lot to get us to the place of gratitude. But when we're really grateful, we want to do something for other people. That's a natural response. But it is never natural to obey. We, we want to do what we want to do, not what someone else wants us to do. And so when we start obeying God in an area that we would rather do something else, it's a sign of a transformed heart. Romans 12, 2 says we shouldn't conform to the patterns of this world. We should be transformed by the renewing of our heart. And when Roxanne and I got to the place where we started giving out of obedience, it was the first sign in my life that God truly was transforming my heart into something new because I was doing what I didn't want to do, but I was doing it for him. I was going to obey him. And what's really sad is that so few believers ever get to this place. So few of us. It doesn't hurt what God wants to do here. It hurts what God wants to do in our lives. It hurts you. Give out of obedience. Because when we give out of obedience, we experience the fullness of God. Now, don't get me wrong. Obedience is not the way to get a relationship with God. You can't earn a relationship with God. That's something he gives to you. You accept by faith. But once we have been redeemed and restored and renewed in heart by God's grace, the way to experience his fullness in life is through obedience. It puts us back on the path we were created for, the path of walking with him. And what saddens me is that so few believers who've been given the privilege of being able to obey and walk with him are actually choosing to do it. Because Jesus came to give us life and life to the full, and it comes through a life of obedience. The next level, as I start evaluating myself and how am I doing in, in my heart relationship with Jesus, is defined by the word grace. We, we give as an expression of grace. We give out of grace. This is a big deal. Grace. Look at how the Bible says it to the people in Corinth who weren't giving out of grace. And it's a description of the Macedonian church and how they should be doing it as well. And, and then it gives the reason. It says, you should excel in this grace of giving. He said, you, you should be excelling in the grace of giving like the Macedonian church. They're, they're poor and they're giving generously. You've been, you've, you're prosperous, you should be giving generously. And he says, excel in this grace of giving for you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. That though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that you through his poverty might become rich. For each and every one of us, and I know not all of us have become Christ followers yet, but for each and every one of us who have become Christ followers, our entire life has been redeemed and restored. Our entire life has been made new because of his grace. He left heaven, came to earth, took death on him because of my sin your sin, and then rose again so that we might have new life. It was motivated by grace. And he says, because Jesus' generosity was motivated by grace, you should excel in this grace of giving. Uh, 
Giving as an expression of grace happens when we begin going beyond the tithe. The tithe is the, the minimum standard, the minimum requirement, the command, and grace starts being expressed when we go beyond what's required. I've had a lot of discussions with people who say, I don't believe the tithes for the church age. I think that's Old Testament and not New Testament. I don't think it's the tithe is for the church age. I believe that the, the church age is about grace, and I believe in grace giving, not law giving. And I go, me too. That's awesome. But we don't agree on what it means. Because they think grace giving means that they can get away with giving 1% or 2% and express great love for God. And they're wrong because grace never goes below what's required. It always goes beyond. And if we're going to live in a time of grace giving, then we're going to go beyond the minimum requirements of the law. Way beyond it. Jesus went beyond what was required of him. He could have been holy and never died for us. He could have loved us and never died for us. But he went beyond the requirement and he, he died for us because of grace. And if we're going to give as an expression of grace, it goes beyond what we're supposed to do and it's motivating a desire to do more. And from personal experience, can I just tell you, each of these levels defined me in a unique way. But when I got to the place where I started giving beyond what was required and doing it cheerfully, that's when I noticed something about my heart. All of a sudden, my heart was softer and kinder. My, my heart valued other people more than my own circumstance. That's when I, I loved God in a way that was life-transforming that I hadn't experienced before because I was now living as an expression of grace. Grace-giving changed me. Yet most people don't even get to obedience-giving. No wonder we're struggling to experience him. And then there's this last level, and this is the level that no matter where we're at, how profound we are at following Christ, we're going to struggle. And I still struggle and grapple and experience tension at this level of giving. This is the level I want to be at, and it's the level where we give as a sacrifice. We give sacrificially. And you see, at each season of my life, sacrifice is defined by a different thing, so I'm always trying to step into this. I'm always trying to navigate through this and I have to tell you the reason sacrifice, sacrificial giving is so tough for me is because it's just not logical it's just not logical it doesn't make sense you know some of the sacrifices that we would make and it doesn't make sense to me that Jesus would leave heaven and come to earth to die for us it, sacrifice is just not a logical thing sometimes and yet what God does through it is amazing it, it's the kind of giving that changes the world. It's the kind of giving that's most like Jesus when we give by sacrifice. And as I've grappled with trying to step into this level of giving, I have found that there are only two motivations that inspire me to any point of sacrifice financially. And the first is I get motivated by what God's done in me. I'm motivated by the love that I have for God's work in my own life. And other people who sacrificially give are motivated by the love for God's work in their lives. I mean, loving what he's doing and what he's done in our lives. You can read about it in Luke chapter 7. I, I gave you some verses there. Jesus said it this way. Those who have been forgiven much and experienced much of God give much, but those who haven't been forgiven much or experienced much from God give little. And I used to say, boy, I've experienced great things from God, and yet I had a peace-sized heart that wasn't very generous. It was a lie. And I think 
the same thing happens with many of us. How much do you really value what God's done in you? How much has he really done in you? And does your giving reflect that? And then there's another motivation for me to step into sacrificial giving, and it's I, I want to be motivated by the love of God's work in other people's lives. And I think this is the purest form where it's, it's absolutely unselfish. Jesus didn't come down so God would do a work in his life. Jesus left heaven, came down, and gave himself so God would do a work in our lives, so he, God, would be able to do a work in our lives. And this is where we should get, where we're motivated for the love of what God can do in other people's lives. You can read Acts chapter 4. This is why people would sell their houses and give all the equity of their houses and give to the church. And I've never done that, but they did that. And they did it because they wanted God to do a great work in other people's lives. That's unbelievable. I want to be more like them. Roxanne and I have, in recent years, um, along, along with our grace giving, which is beyond the tithe and all that in our ongoing financial giving here, um, have wanted to make sacrificial giving, and so we've stepped into some sacrificial giving of, of special investments in feeding the hungry through programs that we have here and, you know, the, the Zambian ministries we have and other outreach things, and we have stepped up our giving in larger ways in the last couple of years, and it has been pretty amazing, and many of you have joined us. You know, I mean, last year, the Christmas offering alone, we gave $2.5 million so that we could build a couple of hospitals in Zambia. And that was for what God would do in the hearts of others, show them that love so that they could wake up to Jesus. It was a beautiful gig. And the Christmas offering is on top of our regular giving. I know a lot of people get really excited. Oh, they're finally doing something I really, really like. You know, they're helping the poor in Zambia. I'll give to that Christmas offering. That's great and all that different stuff. But you don't give regularly. That's, that's not the way God's called us to live. God says, no, I want you to give obediently the tithe so that the mission of my church can go forward and move that. And then I want you to give by grace and you can start releasing in other ways. And then I want you to give by sacrifice and you can release in other ways. And so Roxanne and I would never give to the Christmas offering if we weren't first tithing. We want to be obedient. We don't give to please ourselves we give to please him and it's not pleasing to him to give you know all these different things we want to do but not give what he wants us to give and this next week and i say this because this next week those of you who are a part of northridge are going to get a brochure of an empty refrigerator and it's going to describe things that are coming in the new year that our christmas offering is going to fund we're going to we're going to fund with our christmas offering all the compassion and outreach of feeding the poor and feeding the hungry and meeting the needs of this world it's going to be a big deal and we're going to describe it to you but i'm worried that many of you will go oh i'll give to that but you're not giving in a way that reflects a heart for god and i just encourage you to think through your levels of giving as you move through this process. And Now, I know this has been probably one of the most fun talks you've ever experienced in your life. I, I know that you're probably going, oh man, do we have to stop this series this week? Won't you go into the next couple of weeks and do more? I, I, I get where you're at, but, but this is probably one of the most important things we can talk about because it's out of the heart that everything in our life flows. And God's given us a way for us to understand the condition of our heart by simply looking at giving. How's your heart? Let me just give you a couple of action steps off this that you need to deal with. The first one is, at the very first one, 
when you look at this in the condition of your heart, if you're having a hard time grappling with this, you need to know it starts with receiving the Lord's love in your life. The only way that I have ever progressed through any kind of level of giving that is in any way representative of what God would have me to do is because it started with him changing my heart. I received his love in my life. Have you? John 1.12 says, if we just receive Jesus, put our faith, our trust in his name, he gives us the right to become children of God. When I received Jesus and put my faith in him, it was the most transformative moment in my life because every positive thing I've ever done since has stemmed from that moment. Have you received him? Before I give you the last two action steps, I'm gonna give you an opportunity to pray and I'm gonna ask if you'd bow with me in a word of prayer just for a moment. And as we bow in prayer, if you're here and you're saying, you know, I've never experienced his love in my life, receive it now. Pray with me. Take my words. Make them yours. Just say, Jesus, today I'm trusting you. I'm receiving you. I've sinned against you. I've walked without you. I've messed up my life, but you died on the cross for me and rose again. And I'm trusting you to forgive me and save me and make me new. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're here and you just prayed, I just really want to encourage you to let us know. We handed you a program when you came in, and inside is this little perforated connection card, we call it. And all you have to do is fill it out. Check that box in the bottom that says you prayed with me. And there are boxes at every exit. Just throw it in there, and here's what's going to happen. First of all, it's going to just, it's just going to fill me with awe once again, as it does each week, that someone took that step this weekend, and I, I, it'll be a cause of celebration. We want to know, but it will also be a way that we'll then be able to know that you took that step, and we'll send you a letter that I wrote about next steps that you could take in your relationship with God. Let us know. Uh, put it in one of those boxes, and we'll send it to you. If you're watching on demand, then just hit the what next button. We'll do the same for you. But the, the next action step is, once we've received the Lord's love in our life, then we have to commit to growing in our love for the Lord. We have to commit to growing, because remember, as my heart grows in the Lord, so will my generosity and giving grow. The level of my giving will be transformed, and so we have to commit to growing. Second Peter 3.18, grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Grow in that. One of the ways I know if I'm growing in the Lord or not is by where I'm at in my giving. Am I cheerful about it? Do I moan it? Do I hate that part? Do I love that part? Is it growing? It shows my heart, and the same is true with you. Where's your heart these days? And finally, look at 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verses 6 through 9. Remember this. Whoever sows sparingly, who's going to reap sparingly, whoever sows generously will also reap generously, and that's not talking financially. You want to experience the fullness of God in your life? You want to experience the fullness of life? Come on. It doesn't come by having a pea-sized heart. It comes by having an open heart, a grateful heart, an obedient heart, a grace-filled heart, a sacrificial heart. That says each man, then, should give what he has decided in his heart to give. You should decide. Do you want to give nothing? Do you want to give for appearance sake, payment, gratitude, obedience, grace, sacrifice? Each man has to decide in his own heart and woman, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. And when you give... God is able to make all grace abound to you so that in all things, at all times, having all you need, you'll abound in every good work. When you know God, you know this is true. When you trust God, you know this is true. The question is, do you know him? Do you love him? Do you trust him? Have you experienced it? If not, you'll never experience what you're looking for because money can't do it, but God can. And those who love God, give. True for me, true for you. Well, 
I have to tell you, that's the very end of the Buck Dynasty series. And I know you're really, really, really sad about it. I'm so sad that we won't be listening to country music for a while. So sad that some of you are going to shave off those hacky-looking beards. So sad, so sad. But it will fill me with deep gratitude if God changes our lives in the area of finances because we're finally living by his truth. And next weekend, we're starting a brand new series. It's a Christmas series, most unique one we've ever come up with. It's, as I've been looking at the Christmas story, I've realized that everything God did was unexpected. And so we're going to do this series called Expect the Unexpected because when God works, it's not how you expect it. It's always unexpected, but it's always unbelievable. What a great time to be inviting friends in and family. I hope you will as we start next week. And I hope this week you have a great Thanksgiving. I'm so glad you came. Thanks, everybody. See you next time. I think I'm just a stranger. I think you know.